You're listening to Just Hit Play with your hosts, Peter and Nick Cabral. If you're tired of your stagnant, streamed music feed, then strap yourselves in for an intergenerational sonic journey through Peter and Nick's favorite songs. Welcome to episode 18 of Just Hit Play. I'm Peter. With me is my co-host, Nick. Nick, how the hell are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. I actually got my first tattoo today, so I'm very excited and uh, loving that. So, what did yeah, you, it's all good. What did you get? Uh, so I got a tattoo inspired by none, none other than Frank Ocean, who we've talked about multiple times on this podcast. Yeah. Um, on his album called Blonde, there's a song titled White Ferrari. Right. And right. so kind of in, in tribute of that, I got like um, sort of an outline of a of a Ferrari on my, my forearm. Nice. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I'm really excited about that. Where is the tattoo? It's like the the upper half of my forearm inside. I, I never understood. And again, this is a tangent on tattoos. I never (laughs) understood that when people get tattoos on their back, because you'll never actually see it with your eyes. Yeah. No, you, you yourself will not be able to see it. You'll never see it. It's either mirrored or photographed. Like you'll never, ever set eyes on it. Unless something horrible happens to you, then maybe. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's that's actually a really good point. I've never had that thought, but you're absolutely yeah. right. Yeah, you'll never ever see it. Yeah, yeah. yeah so that's uh, yeah, that's my thought on back tattoos. Obviously, I'm the <laughs> I'm the authority on back tattoos, so uh, you're welcome, world. Well, you are you are the authority now. Yes, our engineer is Darren in our Brisbane studios. Darren, how the hell are you doing? Yep, yeah, I'm still alive. Darren just got a second vaccination shot, so he's feeling oh. a little bit, a little bit crappy. But uh, he's uh, he's a professional, and he's gonna he's gonna go through it. Congratulations, Darren! Thank you. I'm being double vaxxed. Yes, I'm still a few weeks away from my double. Um, it's funny, I got my first shot before Darren, but he's already been double vaccinated before me because I got AstraZeneca, which is like 12 weeks apart. And oh right, Darren got Pfizer, which is four weeks apart. Darren, three weeks. Son of a bitch. All right. Yeah. Darren got that. He, he got the good vax. He got the yeah. best one. No, I, I have to wait till November 1st for my second. Jeez. Jeez. I know. It's ridiculous. All right. Let's get into it. So we're going to play our first song. And that is She Sells Sanctuary, which from now on, I'll just refer to as Sanctuary because I don't want to say that. It's a tongue a twister. It is it really a tongue is. twister. So we're going to play Sanctuary by The Cult. And Darren just hit There was Sanctuary by the Cult. Nick, tell me what you thought of Sanctuary. Yeah, I, I really, really, really like this song, man. This was this was a, just so good. I I definitely feel like I've heard it just around, you know, sure. like yeah. like you do with a lot of songs that have been around for a while and, and were really popular. I feel like I've heard it in in media at some point. So as soon as I pressed play and I heard that that guitar intro, like when the the guitar really started going i was like oh oh yeah i know this yeah oh, this is good <laughs> like that was kind of my thought process and um yeah really really good song so this is from the cult 
Uh, this song came out in 1985 on an album called Love. The cult used to be called, they had two different names for the cult. The first name of the cult was the Southern Death Cult, which then got switched to the Death Cult and eventually <laughs> just dropped to the cult. I guess they were trying to figure out uh, which was <laughs> yeah. most marketable. Yeah. Uh, this is their second album. And uh, so this was released in 1985. Uh, and I think this song, which was the first single, really started to get a lot of airplay in 1986. This was the first oh. cult song that I had ever heard was was uh, was Sanctuary. And from the opening chords it's it just it's it kicks down the door. It's what an opening chord. It really does. Yeah. I, yeah. And I appreciate that a lot because right away it had my attention and I was hooked from the, from the beginning, right? Cuz that that guitar came in and it was very like effect heavy, you know, which isn't really typical for a lot of the songs um, from from that long ago, but I love one guitar is just laden with effects. So again, right away I was hooked and I loved everything the song had to offer. So this is genre of music is called goth rock. Goth rock. Goth rock. Okay. Um, so I don't know if you, have you ever seen the video for this song? Did you, did you get a chance to see the video? Yeah. yeah he was wearing like a pirate costume, wasn't he? Yeah. <laughs> I, I think he kind of looks in uh, back then. He, he just looked like Ian Asbury, but now he kind of looks like um, Johnny Depp in Pirates of the Caribbean. He sort of has that look. Oh, no, he absolutely does. Yeah, that's a great comparison. Yeah, uh, I, I have a little story about Ian Asper. He, that's the lead singer of the cult. Uh, a, a little later on and how he sort of went a little bit beyond, I think, what, what is normal. Oh. <laughs> well, I mean, he's, <laughs> okay. he's, a, he's a singer for, 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 for a rock band, so normal it really doesn't come into play. But yeah, I think, yeah. He started, I think he started to believe his own hype later on. From this album, they had another song, which is a fantastic song called Love Removal Machine. Again, it's a really kick-ass song. As soon as you hear the, the notes, the, the guitar notes from a cult song, especially from this era, you know exactly who it is and you know that you're gonna, you know, your door is about to get kicked down. Yeah, and that's something I really appreciate. Um, you know, I, I come from, well, right now I, I'm primarily a hip-hop listener, so I value songs that are just really high energy, um, you know, have a lot of bass or, you know, a really fast, upbeat tempo. So something like this, where it's just all energy from the start, I was really able to appreciate that. Yeah. The big singles from the cult are uh, Firewoman, The Witch, which I love The Witch. I think The Witch might be their best song. Love Removal Machine, as I mentioned, Rain and Wildflower, and obviously Sanctuary are probably their best known songs. But they're one of those bands that if you put them on Spotify or, or Amazon Music and you just sort of do a shuffle, you forget how many hits they actually had. Uh, because you just, in your mind, you think of like, you know, Sanctuary or Love Removal Machine, but you then go, oh yeah, I forgot about this song. It's like, oh yeah, that's a, that's a great song. So you forget how many great songs they actually have. Yeah. I was actually, um, just talking to my dad about, uh, about how this was the song for the week that you gave me. And he said, oh, the cult. Yeah. I love, uh, Edie by them. That's his favorite song. Another, another great song. Edie's a great song. Yeah. I didn't even put that on my list, but he's right. Again, you forget how many, how many great songs they actually had. Yeah, there you go. It's it's so impressive because were, were these guys active and popular for that long? No. So their heyday was probably 1985 to 1990. Okay. Uh, they sort of broke up not too much longer after 1990, but that's sort of when they uh, were in their sort of heyday. Uh, the Witch was uh, heavily in, influenced by indust the industrial sound. So The Witch mm. would have come out in the 90s. So it would have been influenced by like Nine Inch Nails, that kind of stuff. Right, And right, it was right. a really heavily electronic sound, which is very different than the music that, that we heard for Sanctuary. Absolutely. But I feel like that could still work really well um, it, with this yeah. band. 
it's a great song. Don't listen to it. I'll play it in the podcast uh, later okay. on. Maybe even in October for Spooktober. Spoiler Ooh. alert. We're gonna do Spoiler some special <laughs> we're gonna do some special stuff in October. So let me tell you what the song's about. According sure. to according to Ian Asprey, this is this is a, a direct quote from Ian Asprey. What's the song about? Sex. Plain and simple. It's about sex. I've had sex. <laughs> I'm very proud of that fact. So that's a direct quote from uh from Ian Asprey, what the song's about. Do you think he's had sex? He's proud of the fact, sure. Yeah. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. I guess so. Yeah. Uh, n- another thing I want to talk about, which every time I uh, think about the song makes me laugh, is the drum beat. The drum beat's excellent. It's it's an excellent drum beat. It's driven, like it's it's a really driving drum beat and it really propels yeah. the song forward. The Absolutely. drum the drummer was soon fired after after recording this song. What? Why? He <laughs> did a good job. He was so drunk during the recording of this song that they took <laughs> they took all everything away except for the snare, one cymbal, and, and the bass drum. That's it. Everything else was taken away because he couldn't actually play the song. Oh my god, that's so funny. Yeah. So the drummer's name was Nigel Preston. So he was gone. He was fired, and he oh, was god. replaced by someone named Mark. Brzezinski, I'm going to say his name is, uh, who was in a band called Big Country. And uh, a side note, the band Big Country, guess what their big song was? Big Country? Big Country. That's the name of the song. <laughs> so uh, the, the, the band's original. name was Big Country and their big song was Big Country. Was it from the album Big Country? I bet it was. Yeah. It's the 80s. <laughs> the 80s was weird. That's all I got to yeah. say. Ian Asprey started to believe his own hype after after a while, which I said. Uh, he sort of became really self-important. One of the stories that uh, Angie's a big cult fan. Angie's my fiance. And her brother bought her a signed vinyl copy of this album, the love album, which she has. And I'll take a picture of it and I'll, and I'll put it in the, in the, on the Facebook page. And Ian Asprey signed it, not as Ian Asprey, but he signed it as Wolfchild. <laughs> wow. Okay. Which, which is a reference to a line in Wildflower. So he didn't sign it his name. He signed it as Wolfchild. I'm thinking he's he was buying it into his own hype a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, got a little self-important. Yeah, just just a little bit. Well, yeah. so while I was while I was talking to my my dad about the song, he was telling me that at one point there were um, a lot of comparisons between the cult and U2. Is this true? Um. Yeah. Like if you think back. Uh, especially at that era, because this would have came out in 1985, and Pride Name of Love would have been around that same time. And the guitar sound in Pride Name of Love and this one are probably quite similar. Uh, it's a really driving guitar sound and very distinct guitar sound. Okay. But when you think about post-1985, so uh, Where the Streets Have No Name doesn't sound anything like the cult. Uh, With or Without You doesn't sound anything like the cult. I think up until this point, there probably would have been some comparisons. Maybe not as much eyeliner in YouTube. Right. <laughs> I think Ian Asprey had a lot more eyeliner and, um, uh, you know, scarves around the microphone. <laughs> yeah, makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah. Um, but what I'll say is you two have always prided themselves in writing simple music, uh, simple melodies. And this cult song, especially this one, is it's a really simple song. It's a rock song. It's, it's just a driving guitar-based rock song. For sure. For sure. But I, I think it's done really well. You know, it's... yeah. It, they're they're exploring uh, you know a distinct enough sound within that that rock space right that goth rock like you said that's not really something I'm too familiar with so it it sounds pretty cool I like this a lot yeah it's a 
as soon as you hear it, you know, you know, the guitar player's name is Billy Duffy. As soon as you hear the opening chords of this song, you know, it's Billy Duffy. It just has that, that Billy Duffy sound. Like you can hear another called song. It's like, oh yeah, that's Billy Duffy. Hmm. Yeah. He's very distinct. Um, and even the sound for the song is really, really weird. They're in the studio and he was just messing around trying to make the other band members and the producer sort of laugh. He was like, you know, doing weird productions on, on the guitar, hitting different, uh, hitting different pedals. He was playing with a violin bow, which is very uh, Jimmy Page. Like Jimmy Page used to play his guitar with a violin bow. Really? Cocaine's a terrible thing. <laughs> no kidding. My God. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if you ever watch like a, lo- a live Led Zeppelin concert, uh, there's two things that Jimmy Page is known for. One is playing with a violin bow for some reason on the guitar. And the other one is like a 12 string and a six string double neck guitar. So uh, uh, Stairway to Heaven, I think, is played on 12 strings for most of it. Then the lead is played on a six string guitar. So he's that playing, just, huh. yeah, he's playing yeah. on a double neck guitar for that song. That just sounds excessive, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, and I'm going to get into that next week, actually. So we'll talk about that next week. Okay. Uh, so so he, was, he was messing around, playing with different things. And then all of a sudden the producer goes, oh, that sounds great. And then they were like, let's record with that sound. So that's how this guitar sound sort of came up. They were just messing around. And, and then they came up with that sound. That's really cool. Uh, yeah. I, like, I like experimentation like that. So I, I enjoy hearing that that's how they made the song. The stupidest experimentation of all time, I think, is when Oasis was recording Wonderwall, where Noel Gallagher was adamant that Wonderwall had to be recorded with him sitting on a wall. Oh, my. Again, don't do drugs, kids. Like, oh, I'm not really surprised knowing who who Noel Gallagher is. Um, But yeah, that... (laughs) That's just annoying. Yeah. So don't, yeah, don't do drugs, kids, because you do stupid things like that. Yeah. Don't do drugs. No, don't do drugs. Yeah. So I'm really glad you, you liked it. It's it's one of my favorites. It's probably that it, this song and The Witcher my probably my two favorite cult songs. Uh, yeah. So it's again the guitar sound is just amazing. It's it's brilliant. Yeah. No, I, I absolutely really did enjoy this. So cool. thank you very much. You've uh, opened my mm. my horizons to include goth rock now. Yep, goth rock. Uh, Darren, what did you think of Sanctuary? Yeah, it was familiar, so I know I've heard it before, right. but nice. Yeah, cool. Thanks, Darren. Nicholas, you are up. What song were you listening to? So, this week we have a song by the band Vampire Weekend. They're an American indie rock band, um, and this was off their third album called Modern Vampires of the City. It's uh, pretty low-key, um, sparse but also at the same time, complex song uh, from the songwriting to the lyrics. Yeah, I think it's fantastic. It's it's one of my all-time favorites. I've loved this since I began really appreciating music. Darren, why don't you just hit play? In Santa Barbara, Hannah cried and missed those freezing beaches. Please tell me what you thought of Hannah Hunt. What a hauntingly beautiful song. It's it's you're right, it's so low-key, but so beautiful. Um 
what he can do with his voice to sort of create emotion in the song is is quite lovely. Yeah, yeah, I, I really <laughs> appreciate that you also found it hauntingly beautiful because it it's hard to really pin down what it is about this song, but it seems so visceral and there's so much emotion in the song. It's yeah, it just sticks with you. Uh, do you know what the song is about or, or who Hannah Hunt is referring to? Yeah, so it's a real person. Um, it was like a, an ex-lover of Ezra Koenig, the, the lead singer of Vampire Weekend. So, um, yeah, it was a real relationship that he had, and it's just kind of about um, the way the relationship fell apart over time. Um, so he speaks in a lot of metaphors on this song. I'm not sure if you got a chance to actually like analyze the lyrics, per se, but um, the whole song is kind of... it's It uses... The, the couple going on a road trip across America sort of as a framing device and then within that story of this road trip their kind of their relationship is just completely breaking down as far as I know it's it's fairly accurate fairly factual and yeah so he was definitely drawing from some real life experiences on this song and I think you can tell I know that uh, Vampire Weekend sometimes will play with the word phrasing like they have a song called Diane Young, which can be misconstrued for Diane Young. Uh, So I thought with the last name like Hunt, I thought it was like, is this a Mike Hunt situation? (laughs) Oh no. But I was like, I don't think it is. Like I couldn't think of Hannah Hunt. Like I couldn't think of the wordplay with that. Uh, So I I was trying to figure it out. I was like, okay, maybe it's not about that, Uh, but it doesn't seem to be about that. So we're good. Well, there, there is some, some really cool wordplay on this song that I'd like to point out. So, obviously in the chorus, there's, um, though we live on the US dollar, you and me, we got our own sense of time. So, sense of time, sense, dollar, there's yeah. the wordplay. And then in the third verse, um, Hannah is saying that she misses the freezing beaches of the East Coast, which is where uh, Vampire Weekend, all the band members from the East Coast, so ostensibly that's where Hanno Hunt was from as well and um, then later on in the verse the singer saying he bought some kindling for the fire and Hannah tore the New York Times up into pieces so she tore the newspaper up into pieces for the fire but at the same time where they were at in the relationship she was like tearing up their time in New York together you see what I'm saying yeah so it's a lot of really cool wordplay and it's like, like I said when I was introing this song it's very sparse, very minimal, very low-key, but there's a lot of really complex things going on just bubbling below the surface that make it just a really well, well-made song. Yeah, they're very... Um, sonically, Vampire Weekend are, are... You can always tell a Vampire Weekend song. Sonically, it's it's very distinctive. Uh, and what you were saying about a couple driving across America in, on a road trip really struck struck something with me because when Angie and I were driving across America we were driving from Yellowstone to South Dakota I was listening to Harmony Hall a lot which is another vampire weekend song and I have a distinct memory of my drive going to the Grand Tetons where Kanye West lives yeah. having a distinct memory of that drive in Harmony Hall playing at the same time um, that's again my brain works that way I remember things a lot by the music I was listening to when I was driving places or walking places uh, so yeah that's my memory as driving around America listening to Vampire Weekend 
Yeah, Vampire Weekend. They're they the music they make, it's it has such a warm, nostalgic quality to it, right? Where it always transports you to to some time and place. Uh, it's something they do very well, and it's it's why I like them a lot. Like, I I first heard this song when I was 13 years old, so pretty young. I hadn't really had a real relationship. I didn't understand really what this song was about but I still was able to feel the emotion to some degree and it's been one of my favorite songs ever since um, yeah. yeah I have a question for you sure and I, and I think our I think from what you're saying our situations might have been a little similar when you were 13 were you listening to music that your peers were not listening to like were you listening to more like a college radio or, or, or an adult type of music uh definitely Okay, I had the same experience when I was 13 is when the Joshua Tree came out and I fell in love with that band and and U2 and I started listening to a lot of U2, R.E.M., Bruce Springsteen, which was more of a college radio playlist, while a lot of my contemporaries, a lot of my friends were listening to like Van Halen or Poison, uh, Bon Jovi, like they were listening to more like the hair rock metal. Right, right. And uh, and I was listening to a much more subdued college sound or more of an adult sound. And um, I felt very apart from them in a lot of ways because of that. Yeah, I, I totally understand that. Like when I was 13, um, let's see, I was listening to Arcade Fire, uh, Radiohead, LCD Sound System, uh, The National, um, Interpol, The Strokes. Uh, yeah, a lot of just indie bands like that. Do you um, remember what, what your, yeah. Do you remember what your friends were listening to? Um, like pop music and then would have been like a lot of Drake, a lot of Lil Wayne. Yeah. Yeah. Around that. And then at the same time, that's sort of when I started also, uh, getting more and more into hip hop. So I was, right. I was listening to Kanye, uh, Kendrick, Chance the Rapper, Childish Gambino, the, those types of guys. Right. Yeah, it's funny how even though we're completely from different generations, that I'm finding all these little threads in the conversations we're having about how obviously our musical tastes are not completely similar, but how we came to music and and some of the songs that we listen to are very similar in, in a really odd way, which I'm really you know fascinated by. Yeah, no, that's a really cool observation. I'm I'm glad you made it. Yeah, yeah. that's that's very very cool. Um, yeah. So I, I just want to circle back real quick. Um, Circle. You, yeah, circling. Uh, so you said that you really like the sonics of, of Vampire Weekend songs and how distinct they are. And so one thing that's cool about that, specifically with this album that Hannah Hunt is from, is they pretty much recorded this whole song as, or the whole album, sorry, as analog as they could. They recorded everything on uh, analog tape machines um, and then later put them into like the computer program to, to edit and sequence and everything. But I, I thought that's really cool because they went into it with the intention of making everything sound a little bit vintage, a little warm. Um, and, and they decided they wanted to do it as authentic as possible. Wow. That, that's really neat, actually. You don't hear a lot of that because that makes it harder to record the music. Recording digitally is much easier. So the yes. fact that they actually took the time and worried about the sound, and I, I think I think analog sounds bigger, like there's more space, right? In in the music, going off on another tangent, there's actually been scientists study 
analog versus digital. And when digital compresses music, even though your brain can't actually hear what's been compressed and what's what you're missing, but it instinctively knows that there's something missing. Really? Yeah, it's really fascinating between analog and 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 digital. Uh, the compression of the digital will remove certain atmospheric sounds, but your brain is still sort of looking for that. When people talk about warmth, uh, when they use words to describe that with analog, that's what really their it's their brain saying that digital is missing something. You can't that's hear it. You can't hear what it's missing, but you feel what is missing. Yeah, which you I, have that instinctive sense of, of something that not being right. There's something not right, which I find fascinating because because you can't hear it. It's it's more it's more of a feel, which is why I love music. It has nothing to do with analytics. It's you know it's to do with how I feel about a song. Yeah, for sure. And they when they were recording this album, and obviously by extension this song, Hannah Hunt, they were so focused and almost obsessive about making each record warm as warm as possible that they were doing crazy things like they were um, doing like spectrum analyzers and finding like AI run programs to to uh, like detect the coldest frequencies that they could get and completely remove that from the song and they were they were EQing um, the the tracks on the computer they did like I, I think I read they were doing about 20 versions of each one, just of, of the EQ levels to try and get it, again, as warm as possible because they, they really wanted that that sound for the album. That's really cool. I See, I like that. I, I like bands that take the time and you know every single song on the album is as important as every other song because you have no idea when you release an album what people are going to react to or what people are going to, you know, lack of a better expression, warm to and what songs yeah. they, they won't like, right? Yeah, for sure. Have you, are you familiar with um, the earlier albums from Vampire Weekend? I know you said you, you liked Harmony Hall from their most recent one, but are you familiar with, with their first two albums? So what I know about Vampire Weekend is whatever, I know you've told me to listen to Harmony Hall, which I loved, uh, is whatever I sort of just come across. I haven't uh, sought uh an Ar- uh, I was going to say Arcade Fire. I haven't sought a Vampire <laughs> Weekend song. I was like, I wonder what this sounds like. I've sort of let it come to me in a weird way. Okay. Yeah. So their first two albums, um, they're, they're very, they're more poppy than this. That's, that's absolutely the case. Like Modern Vampires of the City, the, the album that Hannah Hunt's from, is very different. In, in every aspect, actually, from their first two albums, it's it's a lot more thoughtful. It's not really as gimmicky, and it's it's just a way more mature album than anything that came before it. And you really get a sense of the progression of a band because this Vampire Weekend, I think they started when they were all in college or you know, just left college. So you can see the progression throughout each of their albums, and it's something I really think is cool i love when you can see a band improving or changing from album to album and vampire weekend really exemplify that it's something i i appreciate about them yeah like like i said the sound is so unique to them like i when i hear a song i know automatically it's a vampire weekend song it 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 really it's really easy to pick up actually yeah yeah it, it is it is and one of my biggest regrets is not seeing them on their tour for their last album, Father of the Bride. Oh, I wish I saw them so badly. <laughs> well, hopefully uh, 
you know, as things open up again, uh, they'll, they'll be touring and, and, uh, you get that opportunity. I'd love to see them live as well. I hope so. But, uh, they, um, so this album came out in 2013 and then they had a six year gap, uh, until their fourth album, father of the bride. So it might be a while. It's, it's amazing when that happens. Like when we talked last a uh, few weeks ago about the Rolling Stones, where they were releasing an album a year for like 10 years and, the songs are like just like in history, like historically some of the greatest rock songs ever recorded. And then you hear of a band in their prime taking yeah. a six year break. Like, what are you doing? Yeah, I know it's it's pretty wild. Um, basically, what had happened was they had a member, uh, Rostam Batmangluji. Um, he was the main producer for all the songs. Um, he he did a lot of the production and the strings in specific, uh, particular. And he kind of felt like he had outgrown the band. Like Ooh. he wanted to sort of go out and do his own thing and independently produce for other artists and do songwriting for other artists. So shortly after this album came out, he decided to go off and do that. And I think that kind of, put things on hold for the band uh right. he he really was an instrumental part of of everything they were doing um okay. so yeah. yeah that that probably halted their <laughs> their momentum a bit i think but yeah yeah it's all so, it's all good now they released the fourth album i'm happy there you go yeah hopefully uh it's not too much longer till till a new album is out hopefully not yeah should we ask darren what he thought yeah let's see i didn't mind it right thank ah, cool. you darren thanks darren all right, so we have our independent artist for the week. Uh, her name is Anna Smirk. She's a singer. Uh, she's a songmaker, singer, guitarist from Central Victoria, Australia. She plays indie pop songs about far-flung places, long-distance love, and trying to figure out what it means to be human. Uh, the song we're going to listen to is a song called The Excavator, which was released in August. It was described by UK music site Backseat Mafia as pure orchestral, anthemic indie rock which brings to mind artists like Sharon Von Etten while Seenster called it a mesmerizing listen that will instantly hook you since leaving her small town she grew up in she spent time in Melbourne and also Cambodia and the Solomon Islands in pre-covid times obviously and since then Anna split her time between her hometown of Melbourne and her adopted city of Manila where she worked for the World Health Organization a lot of her songs are about life shared between places, uh, long distance relationships and loneliness. This is her beautiful song called Excavator and she has an EP which she'll be releasing on October the 7th. All links will be in the show notes. Darren, just hit play and Nick will talk to you next week. You got it.
You've been listening to Just Hit Play. To contact your hosts, Peter and Nick, or to be featured on an episode as musical talent, email justhitplay7300 at gmail.com. Keep up to date with news and announcements by following on Instagram and Facebook, linked in the show notes. Subscribe on your favourite podcatcher to tune in next week for more Sonic Delights. And if you can't wait till then, check out the Just Hit playlist on Spotify, linked in the show notes. A special thanks to Braden Munch for the theme song, and thank you for listening. <laughs>